Dear fellow redeemed, we consider briefly our gospel reading from the gospel of Matthew chapter 21, the account of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And before we touch on that ever so briefly, I guess we'll have some final comments about that book that many of you also read um, during this month. It's one of those books that the concept is fantastic, and sometimes the turn of phrase is enough to, to catch our attention and to catch our eye and to highlight, to highlight to a degree how much the world tries to encroach on the kingdom of Jesus Christ. To highlight to a degree how much the, the blessings of life around us and sometimes the stress and difficulty of modern world and the uncertainty of it all tries to push in and encroach on the kingdom of Christ within the heart. I had said previously that I thought his chapter on parenting was um, less than stellar, only rivaled, I suppose, by the chapter on food, <laughs> again. It was one of those books that could have probably been 400 pages in order to give it a, a thorough treatment because there are a few blind spots in his writing. But that being said, it is true that wherever God builds a church, there the devil builds a chapel immediately next door. And what other day besides Palm Sunday to highlight that fact? Wherever God builds a church, the devil builds a chapel right next door. And that was basically the, the topic of the book as well. That the world around us says, you have nothing to worry about, at the same time as saying, you have everything to worry about. You have nothing to worry about. You are master of your own fate, and today will go on tomorrow to the day after it with no change, and everything will just happen as expected. And at the same time, the uncertainty of life in this world with all its changes and chances and uh, the seeming frivolous nature of many of it. The deeds and the, the things that happen that are outside of our control. And that continual grasping where the devil builds a chapel, that continual grasping for finding some sort of certainty, finding some sort of control, that comes out of proportion to our relationship to our God and says instead, I need to manage all that I can so that I can have the certainty and I can have the comfort of where I stand today and what will happen tomorrow. And rather than seeing the blessings and the people that God has given in our lives as people whom we serve and love, as blessings from a gracious God, it's completely put out of perspective, completely skewed, as if to say, this is a, a person or an occupation or a task or a blessing that gets turned around into serving me. That even though this blessing perhaps of technology or work, of, of family, or even the blessing of food, that all of it gets turned around because I need it to serve me. In other words, we need a king. That's exactly what the people of Israel were thinking as they gathered and they heard, this Jesus of Nazareth is coming to Jerusalem. This Jesus of Nazareth, whom um, just a chapter earlier in the book of John, 
In John chapter 11, he had raised Lazarus from the dead. And do you remember how that one ended? He said, Lazarus, come out. And then they removed the grave clothes from him and set him free after he had been in the grave for three days. Do you remember how it ended? And the Pharisees said, oh, shoot. What are we going to do? Now we have to kill Lazarus, too. Gets into John chapter 12. And this incredible crowd who is there for the Passover, this incredible crowd who has made the journey, made the sojourn for one of the three times when they're supposed to present themselves before the Lord, that incredible crowd is abuzz with this Jesus of Nazareth. Did you hear what he did? Did you go and stop by and see Lazarus on your way in from the countryside? It's not that far away. There's a long line and you'll have to wait, but there's nothing like it. And then they heard, here comes this Jesus. This Jesus of Nazareth is coming. And he had already sent the disciples to go and find the donkey and its colt. The disciples had laid their cloaks on the ground and on the donkey. And the people just kept on cutting branches. Maybe this is it. This is a king who will provide certainty. This is a king who will serve exactly whatever need is most pressing in my life. This is a king who can provide food for thousands. We should make him king. This is a king who can raise the dead. We should make him king. This is a king who um, comes all the way from Nazareth. And look at this crowd. Surely there's got to be more of us here than the Romans up in that fortress at the edge of the Temple Mount. We should make him king. They had tried that nearly 150 years previously, and they would try it about 30 or 40 years after this Palm Sunday. But they're looking for a king because they need a king. And I definitely sympathize with that, don't you? If you were to read the book or you were to take a step back and say, How different is our Christian life today from the lives of the Christians in the first century? If you were to simply look at this reading from Matthew chapter 21 and see the exuberance of, them, uh, of the crowd going out to the countryside and stripping every tree nearly bare, and after Jesus had, had walked over it and the donkey had walked on by, the crowd running back behind, picking up their branches and cloaks, shaking them out and running ahead, trying to figure out where is he going to be going that I can lay my cloak down one more time? Where is he going to be going? And the children are just running around and, and screaming, and it's fantastic. The city is a buzz and a stir, and the little children are singing Hosanna, Lord save us. Hosanna, which is actually the... Uh, the same word behind his own name, Savior, Jesus. Be Jesus for us. We need a king. The crowd kept calling, and they kept on going, and this keeps on going all the way up to the Temple Mount, if you were to keep reading in Matthew chapter 21, and you will see these little children who follow Jesus all the way up to the Mount, all the way up to that temple area, up the 120 steps or however many it was, from street level up to the temple. And... At the same time, you've got these little children, ages, who knows, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, running around, shaking their palm branches. Today is the day we have a king. 
Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And you've got all those money changers with their animals. They hadn't learned their lesson from three years previously. And the Pharisees scoff again. Not only do we have to kill Lazarus, but you need to find a way to make these children be quiet. Do you remember Jesus' response? I tell you the truth. If they are quiet, then even the very stones would cry out. And every now and then, perhaps, we catch a glimpse of how distant we've become from those believers. And the answer isn't simply they saw Lazarus, they met Lazarus. It's obviously Jesus riding in on Palm Sunday. If I were there, I would have done the exact same thing. Yes, you would have been searching for a king, but which one? And how much, how easy is it? How easy is it to hear the children running around that temple area and say, this is a little bit too much. Not right here, not right now. And Jesus speaks up in defense of them. He speaks up in defense of them as fellow believers who have been brought to faith. As fellow believers who share the same faith who are actually praising him. Because his response? Out of the lips of infants and children, you have ordained praise. And the fact that they are able to praise the one true God is only true because God has brought them to faith. And how distant you and I have come. That we need a king. Consider for yourself. Consider for yourself whether it's on the parenting front. That one's the easy one when you, at least for me, thinking about raising children. And how much easier it would be to say, well, not right here, not right now. Um, everybody's tired. And why would we spend a little bit of time singing a hymn when the baby needs to go to sleep? Why would we look at the readings for this coming Sunday when there's other things to do and there's dishes to be washed? Consider for yourself. Of the, the chapters in the book, which one struck out to you the most? Perhaps it was the, the politics because, I mean, if you turn on the TV or any electronic device at all, the politics are there on every page and the left is all riled up, the right is all riled up, and everyone in between is saying, what in the world is going on? And how passionate we get about that. And how silent we are about him. That we need a king. That there's a longing for a king. And yet, it's almost as though there are so many distractions, whether they are blessings that God has placed into our lives that we then um, turn around into drudgery, whether it's just the, the busyness and the hubbub of everyday life that has us so distracted as, as if to say, this is urgent, this is urgent, and this is very urgent because we need to get the laundry done. But the important gets pushed not to the back burner, but all the way to the floor. Of hearing the words of our king, who says that my kingdom is not of this world. Of hearing the words of our king, uh, when he says that you have, been, you have been given new life with him. That as long as he is in the world, he is the light of the world. Of hearing the words of our king, 
who says even in first peter that our lord permits sends allows trials and suffering in this life so that your faith which is of greater worth than gold is purified and refined that we need a king because if we simply look at at what gets us emotionally involved whether it's angry or joyful bring a sense of relief from the daily stress and we that opens the door to exactly the who's on the throne. That if we look at what gets us emotionally involved, whether it's, whether it's the strong emotions of anger and the angry reaction, or whether it's the uh, joyful emotion or a despairing sense, or anything in between, you just pick up that thread of emotion and you follow it, and it'll lead you right to the throne. And who sits on that throne? We need a king. And that's why Jesus comes. That's why we celebrate his entrance into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Because he knew that we need a king. He didn't come as a king um, in the, the style of the Romans. As if to now throw off, throw off the yoke of the Romans. He doesn't come to simply provide for his people so that they would have an endless supply of bread and they could sit back and take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die, but at least we have a king who can feed us and maybe he would even raise us from the dead. That all the things that he promises are blessings that the world sees of little value. And all the things that our king bypasses are things that the world is cheering about and chasing after. That we need a king who comes gentle and riding on a donkey, not just in humility instead of on, on some stallion or other you know, horse, war horse, but he comes riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey, the same way as all the kings in the family line of David, as all the kings in the house of David, because this king came to be more than just the king of the Jews. This king would be riding into Jerusalem to cleanse his temple. This king would be riding into Jerusalem to the cries of the children. This king would be riding into Jerusalem to the cross of Calvary. Because that's the king that we need. That's the king that we need. A king who does not come with the, the strength of an army to bring worldly peace. A king who doesn't wave his hand in order to create worldly affluence. A king who doesn't even sit down um, at, at a booth and have everybody come by so that he can give them a miraculous healing. But the king we need is a king that goes to the cross. A king that comes to his people even though they weren't expecting him, even though they were looking for someone else, even though, even as they welcomed him, their thoughts were elsewhere. Maybe he'll do this. Maybe He'll raise my loved one. And the king comes. Not because the crowd has welcomed him. But because the crowd needs him. 
moved along by his compassion and his grace, his undeserved love for sinners, and that alone, the king comes with all power and all authority in heaven and on earth, not with an army of followers, not even the 12 disciples and all that crowd crying, Hosanna to the son of David, but that king comes with all the authority of all the angels of heaven. And yet, they stand by, and he tells them to sit down as he rides up to the temple, as he rides past the Passover lambs, whose very bleating would foreshadow his own bleeding. The king comes to be a king of a different sort, a king who would do exactly what you needed most, which is to be your king. He comes to you, not because we, we welcomed him, not because we knew exactly what we needed and we invited him, but he comes because he knows what you need. He knows that you needed a savior to come to you. He knows that there is always and will always be a chapel wherever Christ tries to construct a church. A chapel next door dedicated to the devil, yes. And so he comes as a powerful and victorious king to evict every other contender to the throne and to say, dear child, this is who you are. Dear child, this is the kingdom that you are a part of. Not a kingdom of this world with all the affluence and all the success and all of the lack of pain that those in power would promise. This is the king that has come to you. A king who has promised you a kingdom, an eternal kingdom that will never perish, spoil, or fade. A king who promises to reverse every element of pain in your life, every, every um, little bit of loss that you have ever experienced. A king who promises to use even the injustice against you and the suffering that you suffer to further the proclamation of his kingdom. A king who promises that, yes, dear child, you are different that you are a member of a kingdom that is not of this world, that you have been given a citizenship that will never pass away. We need a king. And thanks be to God that he sent a king. That's what we celebrate this week. Palm Sunday with his entry into Jerusalem to the cries of Hosanna, be Jesus for us, save us. That's what we celebrate on Thursday as we will take a closer look at that upper room meal where Jesus, the king, gives a meal for, of himself for his followers. That's what we celebrate on Friday when this king takes his rightful throne and the crown that makes us cringe but also leads us to the celebration of Easter Sunday. That this king has done far more and promised far more than any of the blessings that this world would propose. That this king has done far more and won far more than any of us realized we needed. That this king has come for you. Amen. <laughs>